is AEW successful? Why is Tony Khan running his promotion better than Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard are running Monday night and Friday night? Long-term booking. What is going on, guys? Thank you so very much for joining me right here on Off The Script. This is episode 475 for your Thursday, April 27, 2023. I am your host, JD, from New York. As always, coming to you live from the OTS venue. Thank you guys so very much for joining me on your Thursday afternoons, wherever you may be, man. Holy shit. We got another week and another Vince McMahon lawsuit, man. It's crazy. I seen all this go down on Twitter on Wednesday afternoon, and I'm like, why does everything like this happen while I'm away from my desk? Now, we're going to go over the most important parts of what was released yesterday But the parts that were most important are everything that was pitched creatively to certain members of the WWE roster, some of which you guys already know because you're following me on Twitter, and I tweeted about it yesterday. Some of this shit is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I want to preface everything that we're going to talk about here In regards to Vince McMahon, I want to let this be known right now. Nothing will happen to Vince McMahon. He will not be punished. This is absolutely a non-issue. This is going nowhere. And I'm sure Vince McMahon will throw money at whoever is suing him to buy this person off and then sweep this under the rug. And nothing will come of this ever. But the thing is... You hear Ari Emanuel on CNBC sitting right next to Vince McMahon telling everybody, telling the world, basically, as they announced this merger between UFC and WWE, Ari Emanuel telling the world the Monday after WrestleMania that he could not do this without Vince McMahon. He would never allow Vince McMahon to walk away from this. This is just as much his as it is anybody else's. And then you hear stories like this. And then you question, well, what is Ari Emanuel doing? Did Ari Emanuel know what type of person he's getting into a business partnership with? It's not about it's not about suing Vince McMahon and you know, bringing all this to light and bringing all the bad shit that Vince McMahon did to light. I don't know where you guys have been for the last 50 years, but racism, discrimination, racial slurs, sexism, everything that you want to cancel nowadays in 2023, this was all primetime prevalence, top-of-the-line priority shit in WWE during the Attitude Era. It's one of the main reasons why the Attitude Era was as great as it was. 
That's why the ruthless aggression era was the ruthless aggression era. A lot of this, a lot of this shit is, you know, ingrained in the history of pro wrestling. Everything that I'm about to read to you is ingrained in WWE. At one point or another, back in the day, we found it to be entertaining. At one point or another, back in the day, we found it to be humorous. We laughed and we cried and we enjoyed what they were giving us in relations to this type of stuff. Not anymore. It doesn't fly anymore. And honestly, the first thought that I had in my head when it came to Vince McMahon in this latest lawsuit, you know, you hear names like Bianca Belair and Mansoor and Aaliyah and Slapnuts from Retribution, Shane Thorne and Apollo Crews. You, you hear names like this mentioned in this lawsuit. And the first thing that got me thinking was the WWE roster does not want him there. I guarantee you. Everybody that I would ask, if I got everybody behind closed doors and asked them if they wanted Vince McMahon there, the answer majority would be no. Nobody wants Vince McMahon in the company. Nobody wants him backstage. Nobody wants to be walking on eggshells. Nobody wants to live with, the, live with this fear and this frustration and this sadness that he just brings everywhere he goes. Nobody wants to fucking work in an environment where that Vince McMahon dark looming cloud is just lurking every which way. Nobody wants him there. And I honestly feel it, it certainly felt like a last ditch effort. What else can we uncover on Vince McMahon to get him out? There's got to be somebody there that's got a problem with Vince McMahon. Let's get him out. What, what do you got? What, what do you got on today's itinerary. How do we get them out? Is there some other dirt that we can uncover from somebody? Somebody's got to got somebody has to have something to get them out. It's exactly what I was thinking. It's exactly the way it read. It, it almost came off as a last ditch effort to get them the fuck out of there because nobody wants them there. We're going to go over what was said and some of it's pretty fucking disgusting shit to be quite honest with you. And you're going to listen to this shit and then you're going to wonder why Vince McMahon is in the position that he's in. We're also going to talk about the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. We got a lot to say about that. More news on that has emerged about WWE potentially having a number one guy, their ace, to win the World Heavyweight Championship. We'll go over that and what came out of Monday, the feeling of this split in the community. Some people liked it, some people did not. WWE reportedly going back to brand-exclusive pay-per-views, possibly. They're considering it, at least. The major changes Vince McMahon made to Monday Night Raw. CM Punk. We'll go over that story again with him being backstage. And the meeting with Chris Jericho. It went well according to Wade Keller of the Pro Wrestling Torch. We'll go over what was said there. And Chavo Guerrero. Chavo Guerrero kind of embarrassed himself on Twitter tonight, or not tonight, but this week, 
couple sad tweets by Chavo Guerrero in regards to Rey Mysterio and the Eddie Guerrero tributes that you've been seeing on WWE television. So we got a loaded show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here on your Thursday afternoons. Please follow me on social media at JD from NY206, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Cameo. Hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for notifications. We've been doing something a little different this week, man. I'm glad you guys are receiving it well. A couple of short form videos as the news breaks. We did one on CM Punk. We did one on MJF. We did one on Naomi, who's joining Impact Wrestling. Former Naomi, Trinity Fatu, is joining Naomi. That actually went up earlier this afternoon around lunchtime, noon. Go check that out. It's on the homepage. Everything you missed is on the homepage, including the streams. The streams are going nowhere. They'll be right there when you when you expect them. Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, this. All that stuff on the homepage, plus the short-form extras. They are on the homepage. Go and check that stuff out. Plenty of content for you guys to get caught up on. We just hit 145,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you guys very much for all of your support there. Super chats are open. Get them on in. We'll hang out at the end of the show. Memberships are open. As always, we just hit 700 members on the channel. Thank you guys very much for that. I love it. We got some new merchandise, man. It's been a while since we got new merchandise. It is that time, man. Summer Scam. The popular summer timeline is back this year with the updated logo. Go get yours today, man. Summer Scam now available exclusively on bonfire.com link. To this beautiful new design done up by my guy Salrex. That is down in the description below. Go and check that out. Summer Scam is back, man. Go get yours today. Now available on bonfire.com. The exclusive home for all merchandise of Off the Script. We're going to start with the lawsuit, man. I laughed my ass off at some of this shit. I really did. There was a lawsuit that was filed against WWE. And it claims that a writer who pitched several different creative ideas is suing the WWE for articles such as Mansoir, or Mansoor, before he joined the Maximum Male Models, a writer pitched that Mansoor be behind the 9-11 Twin Tower attack in New York City. As if that wasn't disgusting enough on its own. There's more. Bianca Belair being objected to offensive lines that she was forced to say, basically picturing her as ghetto Aliyah's character was marketed as being super hot. Apollo Crews being forced to talk in a Nigerian accent because he was a black male or black WWE superstar. The full lawsuit filed against WWE 
Vince McMahon and other executives uh, can be found online. All you guys got to do is go look up Brandon Thurston on social media. He has everything you need there. The plaintiff is listed as Brittany Abrams. The defendants listed are World Wrestling Entertainment, Christopher Dunn, Ryan Callahan, who is the vice president of SmackDown, Jennifer Pepperman, Christine Lubrano, Mike Heller, Vince McMahon, and Stephanie McMahon. These are going to be excerpts from the lawsuit. I have a couple here in regards to Mansoir and I believe Bianca Belair. We got some on Shane Thorne as well, which is just utterly disgusting. The said scene, this is one of them. The said scene included offensively racist and stereotypical jargon, which plaintiff found objectionable. So, Brittany Abrams is the plaintiff. Remember, Brittany Abrams is the plaintiff. By way of example, according to the script, Christopher Dunn intended Miss Bianca Belair, the said black female WWE wrestler, to say, uh-uh, don't make me take my earrings off and beat your ass, which are lines based upon cruel, ugly stereotypes of dark-skinned black women. The plaintiff asserts that Miss Belair uttering that line was and still is negatively stereotypical of race and gender and plaintiff found it offensive and still finds it offensive. Prior to this writing of this scene, many of the WWE writers commonly complained that they didn't know what to do with Miss Bianca Belair. As a result, plaintiff undertook researching Miss Belair's background and discovered a fascinating family tree, including an aunt who helped desegregate her high school in the 1960s and an uncle whose contributions to science were world-renowned. Dunn, Christopher Dunn, not Kevin Dunn, Christopher Dunn, allowed plaintiff to write a first draft of Miss Belair's scene, so plaintiff included positive references to Belair's rich family history and sent it to Dunn for feedback. Dunn told plaintiff Abrams that the draft looks great. I'm going to make some edits and submit it to Ryan Callahan. However, Dunn's subjective plaintiff draft was uh, to substantial editing, including inserting the said racial case. That same night, plaintiff complained about the racially offensive and discriminatory nature of the scene, to one of her WWE superiors, Ryan Callahan. Abrams emailed Callahan and said, I know I'm new. I'm not trying to be disrespectful or step on Dunn's or anyone else's toes, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Miss Belair's scenes included racial jargon and offensive stereotypes, particularly her go-home line. Now, this is nothing new. I mean, WWE is not being sued over Bianca Belair saying, uh-uh, don't make me take off my earrings and beat your ass. I mean, that's just utterly ridiculous. I don't really find that to be offensive. You may find that to be offensive. I don't really find that to be offensive in any way. But she wanted to cause a stir here and or stir up some drama and nonsense and make this an issue. But this is, this is the most tamest of them all. This is really not even the bread and butter of the fucking shit that we're going to get into. 
So I don't really find it to be that bad, but in this case, it's in the notes. So I know I'm not new. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Racial jargon, offensive stereotypes, particularly her go-home line. In the conversation with Miss Belair the following day, Miss Belair informed Abrams that she told Dunn three different times that I don't want to say that line, but he never listens to me. He puts that line in every single week. Then it's a problem. Then it's a problem. That's where it's a problem. I get Abrams didn't like the line. She's a creative writer and she's new. So clearly they're going to treat her differently than everybody else, especially if she's a woman. But you got Bianca Belair saying three different times in this lawsuit that she didn't want to say whatever was written for her. At that point, if she has to ask three different fucking times and you're still pushing the issue, who's the problem now? It's Ryan Callahan who's the fucking problem. And Christopher Dunn who's the fucking problem. If she don't want to say it, then write something else. If she's not comfortable with saying it, then write something else. Miss Belair said the script's discriminatory lines made her look ghetto. If Bianca Belair feels that way, then take the fucking line out of the script and write something else. What the fuck are you being paid for? Plaintiff relayed this information to Dunn and politely offered to edit the lines. However, despite plaintiff's complaint, Abrams, defendants failed to or refused to take any immediate or appropriate corrective action in response. Plaintiff never received any form of response from Callahan, verbally nor via email, and Callahan never spoke to plaintiff about her email or the lines or the scene. So basically, he ignored her. He went about doing what he felt Vince wanted, and that's all that mattered. Additionally, WWE's failure and or refusal to address plaintiff's complaint emboldened WWE employees, including Dunn and Callahan, to further discriminate against and to retaliate against plaintiff in response to her protected conduct. By way of example, WWE kept the discriminatory line in the script. Plaintiff was scheduled to shadow Dunn on two scenes that day, one of which was the scene with Bianca Belair. However, around halfway through the day, Dunn informed Abrams that she would now shadow Callahan. When Abrams requested Dunn's assistance, he told plaintiff, Abrams, you can handle it. It's your scene now. This is where things really get fucked up. When reading that, You might not think much of it. Uh Uh-uh, don't let me take my earrings off and beat your ass. You have somebody that you hired for her creative writing. And you're asking her to write for Bianca Belair. A woman in a man's game. A woman in a mostly dominated male department. And she does not like what's... She needs to tell Bianca Belair. She does not like what is written here. She finds it to be a problem. Bianca Belair finds it to be a problem. So much so that three times she said, I don't want to say this line. It makes me feel ghetto. Yet then you got Christopher Dunn and Ryan Callahan, who's the vice president of SmackDown, basically now 
throwing it in her face because she doesn't like it. Now they're forcing her for this line to be said and get it over to Bianca Belair. They want the line in there. She didn't want it in there. And they're basically forcing it upon her to get it to Bianca Belair so that it makes television. That's the problem. One party didn't like it. The other two didn't really give a shit. Then they really played games with her in the end and tried to make her life a living hell. You can handle it. It's your scene now. Callahan showed up for the taping of Abrams' scenes about 90 seconds before they went live, and he never once mentioned Abrams' email. Defendants switched plaintiff's assignment and made her shadow WWE's lead writer, who was not present until the show filmed live. The switch in assignment was due to plaintiff's race and gender and had the purpose and effect of sabotaging plaintiff's career within the WWE and to serve as a pretext for retaliatory adverse actions. Defendant did not provide plaintiff with any training on what needed to be done during the live broadcast. They threw her in open water with no way to fucking swim to safety. She just told everybody that she was new. I may be new around here. I don't like this. And they took advantage of that. Yeah, you're new around here, so you can't order us around and tell us what to do. We are going to tell you what to do. And if you don't fucking like it, then there's the fucking door. So they forced her to do all of this when she did not agree with anything that was being said here. Defendant's actions were clearly discriminatory as similarly situated uh, white male WW employees are not treated in this matter. Defendant's actions in this regard were clearly retaliatory given the temporal proximity between plaintiff's protected conduct and WWE's adverse employment actions. Defendant's actions in this regard were done to humiliate, intimidate, and undermine Abrams' performance as she had never been tasked with this responsibility and had no idea of the new role's requirements. Unbelievable. That's what they go and do. That's the type of work environment that Vince McMahon wanted in WWE under his watch. That's the type of work environment that Vince McMahon allowed backstage. Just going to keep that in mind. I want you guys to keep that in the back of your fucking mind, okay? Here's another excerpt. In or around November 2021, a WWE writer by the name of Zach Hyatt admitted to Abrams and another black female WWE writer, Miss Silvers, that he was afraid to critique his group of black wrestlers. Abrams and Miss Silvers spoke to the black performers directly who expressed feeling unheard and misunderstood culturally and who thanked plaintiff and Miss Silvers for their compassionate approach to writing for black and other minority characters. Shortly thereafter, Abrams and Silvers proceeded to share this information with their WWE lead writers. Uh-oh, the roster is complaining to the writers, and then now they have to be tasked with taking it back to the white men, Callahan and Dunn, who basically didn't give a shit about what Abrams wanted or felt. Plaintiff Abrams asserts the defendants engaged and continued to engage in a pattern and practice of discrimination against black female employees 
African-American female employees and other minority employees. By way of example, in or around November 2021, racially discriminatory comments were casually made by plaintiff's white male Caucasian lead, Ryder Callahan, about a Muslim wrestler. Miss Silvers and plaintiff, the only black writers on the team at the time, were tasked to pitch a love story between wrestlers Aliyah, Mansoor, and Angel Garza, who are both Muslim. Miss Silvers and plaintiff pitched that Mansoor has a secret that he's keeping from Aliyah. Callahan disagreed with the secret Miss Silvers and plaintiff wanted for the character. So Callahan also, in this case, in this excerpt, disagreed with Silvers and disagreed with Abrams. What was the secret? Instead, Callahan suggested, and I quote, how about his secret is that he's behind the 9-11 attacks? I don't even know why you would make light of that in any way if it was a joke, why you would make such a joke in regards to that. I really don't get it. The biggest single greatest American tragedy in the history of this country where you actually have an employee, Zelina Vega. Didn't her father pass away in the 9-11 attacks? She's made a big deal about that. Every time that fucking anniversary comes around, she did something in honor of her father on television. And that's what you want to go. You want to blatantly go and throw that out there on WWE television. This is the culture that Vince McMahon has invited to WWE television. Because Vince McMahon is okay with it. Ryan Callahan thinks, I'm a vice president here. I can do what I want because my boss thinks the same way. That's the fucking problem. That's the problem. How about his secret is that he's behind the 9-11 attacks? Miss Silvers nervously laughed and said, let's not do that. Let's talk about the other part of the pitch. Callahan then said, oh, I guess you're the lead writer now. Miss Silvers again laughed nervously and said, for just this moment, so we can talk about something else. Following this, whenever a writer asked Callahan a question, he would reply, well, ask Miss Silvers. She's the lead writer now. Callahan's comments and conduct in this regard were clearly discriminatory given plaintiffs' similarly situated white Caucasian counterparts were not treated in this manner. He treated everybody else different. These two, he treated like shit. Miss Silvers and Miss Abrams, the only two black female writers on the team. Additionally, Heller shared a sexist pitch for a Muslim female wrestler wherein the said female wrestler lacked authority over her own mind and body. Again, Miss Silvers and plaintiff Abrams created a love story between wrestlers Aaliyah Mansoor and Angel Garza. In this pinch, uh, pitch, Aaliyah and Mansoor were meant to fall in love while a jealous angel tries to break them up. 
The pitch was made where Aaliyah appears intelligent and confident in herself and desires, containing Aaliyah speaking up for herself against both Angel and Mansoor and having her love and affection earned. Miss Silvers and Plaintiff pitched that this storyline to Heller, or pitched this storyline to Heller, who expressed confusion about Aaliyah and her choices, particularly her never wanting to be with Angel, who was the obvious villain in the story. Heller was confused that Aaliyah wasn't crying on the stairs after her breakup with Mansoor. Heller then pitched that Plaintiff, Abrams, make the storyline a love triangle, objectifying and bimbo-fying Aaliyah. Heller's sexist counterpitch included Angel being forward and aggressive in his efforts to date Aaliyah. Aaliyah being easily swayed by Angel's evil tactics and Aaliyah being confused about which guy she should date, oscillating between the two men until the end of the storyline. Heller and Callahan made these discriminatory comments while plaintiff and other black female African-American employees were in his presence in the writing room. Heller and Callahan's comments and conduct were clearly discriminatory. Plaintiff immediately complained about these racially discriminatory comments. Plaintiff spoke up and asked, doesn't that take away Aaliyah's agency? Plaintiff told Heller that she wanted to make a pitch that was more feminist, especially because Aaliyah's character is already marketed as being super hot. Plaintiff, along with a number of her co-workers, including Miss Silvers and Mr. Barbash, also complained about the discriminatory nature of their lead writer's comments. Rather, in response to plaintiff's protected conduct, defendants intensified their campaign of retaliatory adverse employment actions. By way of example, Lubrano, Christine Lubrano, met with plaintiff Abrams and Miss Silvers and deliberately downplayed Heller and Callahan's discriminatory remarks by claiming that she heard it was nothing more than a joke and wacky things are said in the writer's room all the time. Yes, that may be the case, but this is the environment that Vince McMahon has welcomed to WWE. Now, when plaintiff Abrams indicated that it doesn't make it okay, Lubrano responded, I know, but look at the waves we're making in the company. Four years ago, no woman worked on the writer's team. I could see why, being that they're being racially discriminated against and pushed out and their ideas not being listened to. No wonder there's not a fucking woman on the writing team. Why would there be? There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need indeed. If you're a woman, why would you want to work amongst this filth in WWE? Lubrano followed up and told Plantiff that she was doing a great job. And that Bruce Pritchard, Mr. McMahon, and Miss Stephanie McMahon love Abrams' writing. But Plaintiff should be careful to pick and choose Plaintiff's battles. However, despite Abrams' complaints, defendants refused to take any immediate or appropriate corrective action in response. There's more. There is absolutely more. Get a load of this. Following plaintiff's complaint, defendants increased the intensity of their discriminatory misconduct, including deliberately subjecting Abrams to a number of racist pitches. By the way of example, it was discussed in the WWE writers Slack channel, which is like a group chat for all the WWE writing team. In the WWE's Slack channel before a show that a new wrestler Reggie would dress in drag complete with wig and tights so he could partner with Carmella, a female wrestler, in a tag team match against other female wrestlers. You know, going back to what Callahan and Heller and these other people that were discriminatory against Abrams and Silvers, you know, the Aaliyah storyline, it's it's not so much that it's, you know, oh my God, we got to cancel these men, right, for being sexist. Who the fuck would want to watch that shit on television? The way that they made it sound sounds awful. Like, I have, now that I'm reading it, I would have had no interest in watching any of that play out on television. This is the idea. These are the ideas that are coming out of the writing room in Titan Tower, at Stanford uh, Titan Tower. I don't get it. I'm more offended about how bad the fucking content is that they're willing to give us. Not about it being discriminatory and sexist. I'm fucking, I'm disrespected at how fucking awful it sounds. That this is the level. These guys are being paid six figures to write television and that's the best that they come up with. So Reggie would need to dress in drag, complete with wig and tights, so we could partner with Carmella, female wrestler, in a tag team match against other female wrestlers. Yeah, that's exactly what we need. Somebody dressing in drag, a man dressing as a woman, wrestling other women on television. I don't know who wants to see that. I know I don't. That's fucking disgusting. Give me a break with this shit. You want to you preach equality. You want to preach equality. In the women's division. Everything's got to, the women need equal. They need to be equal to the men. Meanwhile, you got a man dressing as a woman competing in the women's division. Why? Doesn't that go against everything that you set forth with the women's revolution? Reg is not a woman. He's a fucking dude. No, but they get off on this type of humor. Reggie is a dark-skinned African-American black straight male wrestler, says the lawsuit. Given this pitch was shared via the Slack app, defendants Mr. McMahon and Stephanie McMahon, as well as other WWE higher-ups including Bruce Prichard and Ed Kosky were included in the thread. 
plaintiff's co-worker, Miss Listenberger. Now, Listenberger was actually responsible for the Otis, Mandy Rose, and Sony DeVille storyline uh, during the pandemic era when Otis was chasing Mandy Rose and their love, uh, their love was supposed to play out on television. That was her. That was that was an endearing storyline. You know, Otis going after somebody like Mandy, and he loves Mandy. And Mandy is this beautiful, buxom blonde who would probably never give Otis a fucking shot in the dark. And Otis ended up getting the girl at the end of it all. That was a heartwarming storyline. I think a lot of people fell in love with Otis at that point. That was good. That's who Listenberger is. She was a part and spearheaded that storyline. She responded to the thread, observing that putting a straight black man in drag might perpetuate harmful stereotypes that would offend viewers. I don't see where she's wrong. I know I don't want to see a guy dressed in women's clothing wrestling on television. Who the fuck wants to watch that? WWE eventually scrapped the discriminatory pitch, but only in response to a white Caucasian individual's protected conduct in the form of Miss Listenberger's complaint. So because it was a white female who complained about it, they they canned the entire act. They canned the storyline and the pitch. By way of another example, WWE forced wrestler Apollo Crews to speak with a Nigerian accent just because of his Nigerian lineage. Apollo Crews is a black Nigerian-born male. Plaintiff emailed, Abrams emailed Callahan, and complained about the offensive nature of the requirement for Apollo Crews to speak with a stereotypical and exaggerated Nigerian accent. Now, we didn't know, clearly we're fans, we're not supposed to know, we didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. We looked at Apollo Crews and we were like, all right, Apollo Crews is making strides to change up what was an overly dull, boring, uncharismatic act. He did the whole Nigerian thing and he had uh, uh, Baba Tunde with him as his enforcer. And it was decent. It was decent. It was the best Apollo Crews looked in his entire WWE run, to be quite honest with you. I knew it wasn't going to last because WWE doesn't push guys like Apollo Crews for blatant reasons. Now you see why. But... Now we're coming to find out that Apollo Crews was forced to speak in a Nigerian accent via Callahan and the rest of the writing team because he's of Nigerian lineage and because Apollo Crews is a black Nigerian-born male. So they wanted the stereotype out there, and they wanted him to go all the way with it with the accent. Now, I guarantee a lot of you guys are looking back at that and you fucking hate it, even more so if you already hated it coming out of it. Now it makes a lot more sense. However, despite plaintiff's complaint, Callahan failed and or refused to take corrective action. As a result, Callahan and WWE forced plaintiff to require Apollo Crews to speak with a racially artificial Nigerian accent. By way of another example, in or around the spring of 2021, Callahan pitched that a white Caucasian male wrestler with a hunting gimmick would hunt black male wrestlers for fun. Now, this was around the time that Shane Thorne was on his own. Retribution had been disbanded and they were coming up with new gimmicks for everybody. 
They let Dio Madden and Dijak continue their retribution phase. Shane Thorne as Slapjack got uh, booted from the group. They needed to do something with him. And they figured, because Shane Thorne is from Australia, we'll give him a hunting gimmick. We'll give him a, uh, you know, down south hunting gimmick, uh, crocodile hunter gimmick. Yes, because Shane Thorne is Australian. What's the best thing that we could come up with for Shane Thorne? Hey, we'll make him a crocodile hunter, pal. I mean, holy fucking shit. How out of touch are you? Holy shit. Like, we knew it then. We seen it. He wrestled on main event. We've seen it. There's pictures of him in the getup. The gimmick was supposed to be a hunting gimmick where he would hunt black male wrestlers for fun. In a nutshell, the said hunting gimmick pitch for new wrestler Shane Thorne and Reggie was since Shane is Australian, we should make him a crocodile hunter. And instead of hunting crocodiles, he hunts people. But the person involved here is a black male in Reggie. Subsequently, a storyline was pitched by Callahan where Shane would capture Reggie, constantly beat him up, but Reggie would always escape after being captured. Holding Reggie captive in cages was discussed by Callahan. Are you fucking serious? So a white male Australian from Australia, Shane Thorne, was given a crocodile hunting gimmick. And his, his gimmick was to hunt black, female, uh, black male wrestlers. And in this case, Reggie. Capture them and put him in cages. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I'm listening to? Why is Ryan Callahan still employed? That's what I want to know. I hope to God that Ryan Callahan is fucking fired after all this. Now that this is public knowledge. Plaintiff found Callahan's pish highly offensive and objectionable. No shit. No shit. Plaintiff again objected to our superior's racially motivated misconduct, specifically stating that a gimmick where a white man hunting a black African-American man for sport is racist. Yes, it is. But this is the environment that was created by Vince McMahon. This is the type of shit that Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon require from their writing team. This is what they find to be entertainment. And then you want to know why I constantly am preaching on Twitter and preaching on here that this mindset and this fucking old man mentality and Vince and Bruce and all of them got to get the fuck out. Now you know why. This is no, this is nothing new to me. I knew I knew this was the environment back there. But to see it in writing and to see this this behavior passed down from the leadership of Vince and Bruce to Ryan Callahan who's a vice president of SmackDown. I mean, if it's is okay with Ryan Callahan to get away with it, it's because it's coming from the top. Callahan is doing this type of shit because he sees it occurring at the top of the food chain. 
Callahan laughed and sarcastically responded, Oh, what? Is that a bad thing for being racist? Callahan's comments and conduct had the purpose and effect of humiliating and intimidating Abrams and dramatically altered her work environment for the worst. As the WWE writing team's sole person of color, Abrams was devastated that none of her white Caucasian co-workers stepped in to complain about this discriminatory and offensive pitch. That is ridiculous. Everybody else, everybody that did not stick up for Abrams is just as fucking guilty as Callahan is. As far as I'm concerned. Afterwards, plaintiff spoke with Mr. uh, Parise, a white Caucasian WWE writer, who revealed that he agreed with the plaintiff that the pitch was racist, but he felt too nervous to speak up about it in front of Callahan. Again, the type of environment that Vince McMahon has created. You are not allowed a say. You just do and make me happy. That is terrible. That's the type of work environment that WWE welcomes under Vince McMahon. However, despite plaintiff's complaint, defendants refused to address the complaint and instead continued the discriminatory and retaliatory campaign unabated. By way of example, on or about April 10th and 11th, 2021, WWE held WrestleMania 37. WrestleMania is the largest professional wrestling event in the world. For each of the annual WrestleManias, WWE produces limited edition items commemorating the specific event. Chairs. Commemorative chairs. For WrestleMania 37, WWE produced limited edition WrestleMania 37 branded chairs as it had done in many previous WrestleMania events. These chairs are movable and meant to be used for temporary seating in the arena where WrestleMania is held. WWE employees who were not African-American and who had not engaged in protected activity were permitted to take these limited edition event branded chairs for their own private use following the WrestleMania event. WWE employees who were not African-American. So everybody that was white in WWE was allowed to take a chair. If you were of African-American descent, you were not allowed. In the years prior to plaintiff making her complaint of discrimination, Abrams, WWE did not subject employees to disciplinary action in response to taking the removable temporary seating limited edition WrestleMania branded chair from the WrestleMania events. WWE did not subject these employees to disciplinary action in response to keeping the limited edition event specific items included the WrestleMania branded chairs for their own private use. At the end of WrestleMania events held prior to WrestleMania 37, WWE permitted its writing staff to remove limited edition specific items from the WrestleMania venues. Upon information and belief, WWE maintained a policy whereby its employees were allowed to remove limited edition event specific items, including the branded chairs from events, and to keep the limited edition event specific items for their own private use without fear of reprisal. On or about May 20. Uh, 2021, as a result of Abrams' excellent work performance, defendants hired her as a permanent employee writer. There you go. At all times herein, plaintiff was exemplary employee and exemplary employee who did not disobey orders or directives from her superiors. Plaintiff performed all duties assigned in a diligent and thorough manner. 
However, plaintiff asserts that defendants engaged and continue to engage in a pattern and practice of discrimination against black female employees, African-American female employees, and other minority employees. In winter 2021, Abrams complained to WWE's human resources and representatives about being racially discriminated against by white Caucasian senior writer and defendant Pepperman during the first few months of her employment. Pepperman's discriminatory actions and the way he treated Abrams and other black African-American WWE employees poorly compared to their similarly situated white and Caucasian counterparts. So she goes on to blast Callahan and now Pepperman is involved in this. Pepperman's comments and conduct were discriminatory given she did not treat white and Caucasian WWE employees in this manner. Pepperman's comments and conduct had the purpose and effect of humiliating and intimidating plaintiff and their severity and persuasiveness dramatically altered plaintiff's work environment for the worse. At the end of all this, I'm not going to read the rest of this. She was ultimately fired. She was ultimately fired from WWE. I don't know where it says this in the reports, but it just goes on to repeat it over and over and over again. She was ultimately fired from WWE. And this is where all of this complaint is coming from. And this is where this lawsuit is is coming from. But you get the gist of the Ali, or not Ali, um, Mansoor. The reason I mention Ali, I want to throw this out there as well. Because I'm not sure if you guys realize this. There was a report that Ali was upset with creative back in 2021. Ali's last match in 2021 was on October 29th. Days after blowing off the Mansoor feud. Because if you guys remember, they were feuding. Mansoor and the 9-11 pitch was in November of 2021. There was a report thereafter that Ali took issue with creative pitches around that time. Ali publicly asked for his release on January 16th, 2022. Did we just uncover the reason why Mustafa Ali asked for his release from WWE based on creative? Was that the reason? Certainly sounds like it to me. Listen, I want you guys to understand something. And I wanted to make sure I got all of this in the show today. Apollo Crews, Mansoor, the Bianca Belair shit, the Shane Thorne creative pitch. Nothing is going to happen to Vince McMahon. Nothing. This will be something that he pays this woman off. He'll throw money at it and everything else is going to be fine. This is what he does. To fix a problem, he throws money at it and then he moves on to the next fucking problem or or the next thing that he's going to cause a problem for. Ari Emanuel is now the boss. He is the head of Endeavor who owns 51% of the company. It's not official yet. It's not closed yet, but that's where it's going. They're under investigation for that. It's not out of the realm of Oh my God, what's going on? Is is the WWE not going to be sold to Endeavor? Normally when you merge two companies into a huge one-branded superpower, yes, there's going to be an investigation to make sure everything is is where it needs to be. So that's not really uh, a rarity. 
Ari Emanuel is the CEO. He's the boss. I don't know. I don't know how he could go on CNBC and blatantly tell the world that Vince McMahon is in charge. Oh, yeah, Vince McMahon is not in the weeds anymore, he says. Oh, I'm not in the weeds. I'm running creative. I'm running creative at a higher level. How you could listen to Vince McMahon tell you he is running creative at a higher level, and then this is his writing team. So by way of what Vince McMahon said, Vince McMahon ultimately admitted to everybody that he is the end-all, be-all for creative. He is the higher power. He is the end. He is the finality. And everything else underneath him is basically approved by him. This is his team. This is not Triple H's team. This didn't happen under Triple H-led WWE. This happened under a Vince McMahon-led WWE. This is a Vince McMahon-led WWE still. Triple H is nothing more than a fucking title. He is not leading shit. They want you to think Triple H is leading the WWE. Here's a fucking newsflash for you. He's not. Not with Vince McMahon back with his fucking pedo mustache. Guy sent a worldwide, uh, a worldwide fucking express, uh, you know, comment like that. Then he shows up on the Raw after Mania. The fuck are you doing? Expresses to the world, I'm not in the weeds. Then we come to find out that he ran all of the Raw after WrestleMania. And then literally, literally, the same week, he emailed everybody in the company expressing to everybody that Triple H, Paul Levesque, is solely in charge of creative on the next Tuesday. Meanwhile, he just blew up the Raw after Mania. This man is a fucking cancer to the entire WWE. A cancer to the entire company. Nothing will happen to Vince McMahon. This is a non-issue. Well, because words were said here and blah, blah, blah. I mean, well, what's going to happen? They're going to pay this person off and, and that's it. They'll move on with their fucking lives. We know this is the type of hostile environment in WWE. The thing is, it's not about, oh, let's get Vince McMahon out. It's not. I don't think anybody thinks, and if you do, you're stupid. I don't think anybody thinks this is going to be the, this is going to be it. This is going to be what Vince McMahon is going to look at, and this is going to get him out of creative. This is it for him. There's no way he can come back from this. Vince McMahon's laughing this shit off, man. He, he loves this shit. He does. Everybody around him that he associates with loves this shit. The point that everybody's trying to make is that this man is not fit to run the company. This man is not fit to run the company. This man is not fit to run creative. This is the type of work environment that he created. Now, this is the type of work environment, and I feel bad for Triple H because supposedly he's the guy now this is the type of work environment that Triple H now has to adopt because of what Vince McMahon did. This is the type of shit that Triple H needs to go out there and fix. All this tells you is that Vince McMahon is not cut out for this shit. Ari Emanuel should be looking at this and thinking the same thing that the fans are thinking. 
he is not cut out to be in the position that he is in. He's not cut out to lead any sort of creative at all in this company. How he is employed is just mind-boggling to me. They said it from day one. They unanimously voted him out from the board of directors. Vince, I don't think coming back to the company is going to be a good look. It may do more, it may do more harm than good. Then all of a sudden, the next week, he's voted unanimously back in, and he blows up everything. He didn't give a fuck. He manipulated his way into back being back in power. And the sad thing is, if Triple H was fully in charge of WWE, I guarantee you, you would not hear stories like this coming out of WWE. Under Vince McMahon, this is a normal occurrence. That's the problem that I have. This is the environment that Vince McMahon created. And he's not fit to be there. Not with this type of mentality. It starts at the top. It starts with Vince. It starts with Bruce. It starts with John Laurinaitis, who's gone. Ryan Callahan got away with half of this shit because, until now, because that's the, that's the type of attitude and environment Vince McMahon created. He felt it was okay to do that because Vince, he's seen Vince do it. He's seen Bruce do it. It's disgusting. It really is disgusting. Nothing will happen. Nothing will change. WWE will continue to be run by Vince McMahon. And it's just another day. But at the end of it all, I really, really, really hope that there's more people like this to come and speak out against what Vince McMahon has done or the type of environment that Vince McMahon has created backstage because the more I see this, the more my heart smiles. It really does, because I don't want him there. Nobody wants him there. The roster doesn't want him there. The performers don't want him there. The staff doesn't want him there. Nobody wants him there, but he's there, and he's going to be there every single week. This would not happen under a Triple H-led WWE. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Moving on. Now that we got that out of the way, how about we talk about what's actually happening on television? Major update on the WWE hiring freeze that supposedly was being spread around the community. It was reiterated to Fightful from WWE higher-ups that there has been an effective hiring freeze in place since the beginning of the year Whether or not that official term has been used, in fact, Fightful has learned that Nick Aldis, who's now with Impact, was told that WWE had maintained interest in him, but with the corporate moves, there weren't main roster hires being made. However, Fightful's been told that a WWE higher-up told some within the industry that they're still talking to talent and hope to be hiring again sooner rather than later. We've learned that there was contact with EJ Naduka via James Kimball and Switchblade Jay White via WWE, and that Triple H was adamant he didn't want details of the talks leaked. William Regal and Bruce Prichard had both reached out to the talent during that time. The way that it was put to Fightful was, and I quote, we haven't been hiring people, but we've been talking to people. It was also mentioned that while WWE, I don't know why you're talking to people if you have no interest in fucking hiring them. That's what I want to know. 
if, you, if you're going to talk to somebody, why don't you bring them in? It, the, the entire reason you're going to talk to somebody is because you're interested in bringing them in. It's like they wasted these people's times. It was also mentioned that while WWE had heavy interest in Jay White and would have loved to have him, there wasn't a lot of communication in the latter weeks before he got signed by AEW. Yes, because Vince McMahon vetoed that move. Vince McMahon said, who the fuck is Jay White? And what's a switchblade? We don't want this guy here. I'm not going to push him on television. That's up your alley, but ha ha ha, you're not running creative, pal. I am. WWE also had interest in Hikuleo, Tamatonga, and bringing back Naomi was a priority, and none of them were brought back to the company. Or none of them were brought in, and Naomi was not brought back to the company. Feifel also spoke to multiple free agents who said WWE outright stopped responding to them along the way. One WWE higher-up pointed over 20 main roster signings between August and December, and none in 2023 as evidence that things had changed. However, they think it was more of a product of the sale progression than anything else, which is probably the case. But Vince McMahon being back in creative as well and him having a say over what's happening on television was also a reason why these people were not brought in. You could see who's being pushed on television. You could see who's being used on television. You could see who's not being used on television, and who's had segments cut from the show. You could see who has done that and why. Vince is not going to bring in anybody that he is not going to push on television. Jay White was a dead duck in WWE. He may be a dead duck in AEW. I hope not. But with Vince there, Vince was never going to push Jay White the way Jay White needed to be pushed. E.J. Naduka, who the fuck is that? He worked for MLW after he got released from a uh, from NXT. I know AEW was looking at him. I mean, Vince doesn't know who that is because he came out of the developmental system, and Vince didn't really give a shit about the developmental system at that point when he was there. He only cared about it when NXT 2.0 was a thing, and that shit was fucking disgusting. Who else was mentioned here? Nick Aldis. You think Vince McMahon is going to push Nick Aldis on WWE TV? I don't think so. Plus Nick Aldis and Bruce Pritchard in the same company? With Bruce Pritchard having a problem with Mickey James? No way. Who's a Hikaleo? Who's a Tamatonga to Vince McMahon? You got to be fucking kidding me. Yes, the company was sold. Yes, the company was in the progress of being sold. Yes. That's why the hirings stopped. But to talk to people, they, they, they flat out told Feifel, yeah, we, we've, we've been talking to people, but we're not hiring people. Then why the fuck are you talking to them? Why are you going to go out there and talk to somebody if you have no interest in bringing them in? Don't really get it. Why are you wasting people's time? It doesn't make any sense. Was it a hiring freeze? Yeah. Was it officially a hiring freeze? No. Everything was done to Vince McMahon's liking in Vince McMahon's way. WWE is reportedly considering going back to brand-exclusive PLEs, premium live events. 
Now, WWE, with the brand split, right now, everything is remaining the same. You're going to get 12 major WWE pay-per-views, two Saudi shows per year. I don't know if that's on top of the 12. WWE may round out about 12, 13 pay-per-views per year, maybe, if that. I know that's down significantly from years prior. But WWE making a notable change like this to their premium live events is a big deal because we've seen this done before and WWE went away from this model uh, a while back and now they may be doing it again. Now, there is positives to this. There are also negatives to this, but I, I feel like there are more positives to this than anything. Now, the company is set to shake up the rosters again on Raw and SmackDown with this year's draft, which starts tomorrow night. I'll be live for SmackDown for the first night of the draft. It's going to be a big night. I'm very excited about it. And this draft ends on Monday night on Raw. This is ahead of the promotion crowning a new World Heavyweight Champion at Night of Champions on Saturday, May 27th in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. I'll talk about that in a little bit. The title will be defended on whichever promotion the undisputed WWE Universal Champion Roman Reigns is not drafted to. Now, the WRKD Wrestling Twitter account reports that officials are discussing the idea of doing brand-exclusive shows again. One format discussed, they say, after the announcement of the draft and the introduction of the new World Heavyweight Championship on Raw is the idea of potential brand-exclusive premium live monthly events, end quote. The last attempt at doing this was September 2016. I loved that era of SmackDown. Now, Raw got loaded via that draft. SmackDown got the shit end of the stick, but SmackDown was putting on some of the best WWE shows that they put on in quite a while with that 2016 era of SmackDown towards the end of that year. It was very NXT-like. That show, you know, I don't know what exactly had happened there. That show was led by Ryan Ward. That show was led by Road Dogg, and they were a two-man power group there on, on SmackDown. And all of a sudden, SmackDown started to churn out so much better of a show week in, week out. And the WWE started to catch notice of the fans. Oh, man, SmackDown so much better than Raw. Raw was still the flagship show at that point. Vince was running Raw. Ryan Ward and Road Dogg was running SmackDown. And everything had to obviously be filtered through Vince McMahon. But I don't think Vince knew the power of SmackDown at that point because the fans were so in love with what was going on there. He, he ended that before it even got started. As soon as Bray Wyatt won the WWE Championship, it was over. It was over. I don't know what had happened there. The deterioration of the entire brand just took a fucking nosedive. Randy Orton beat Bray Wyatt. And then all of a sudden, Jinder Mahal was made into the WWE Champion. And then the brand fucking died. Imagine that. Imagine that. They almost killed SmackDown by crowning Jinder Mahal the WWE Champion in 2017. And then they claimed it was because they wanted to represent gender and the Indian market. There was some big deal going on at the time with WWE landing a fucking TV deal in India. I don't give a fuck. You just completely turned the show upside down from being great to being the worst fucking thing on television because you wanted to make Jinder Mahal the fucking champion? God, that shit was terrible. WWE nixed doing this in 2018. 
And it was to load up one event per month with talent from both brands. All right, they did it back in 2016. I'm sorry, I misquoted myself. They started it up in 2016, and it only lasted two years. 2018, they they nixed it. It was one event per month with talents from both brands in hopes that it would increase subscriptions and ticket sales. There are positives to come out of this, to be honest with you. But the thing is, is WWE, and this is my first con here, my first negative takeaway. Is WWE going to embrace the brand split? Are they going to keep it? I mean, if history shows us anything, no. They lose their patience. They're not going to keep the brand split separate. They're not going to adhere exclusively to a 100% brand split. Not with Vince there. If Triple H is in charge, maybe. But with Vince McMahon in charge, you'll start seeing Raw on SmackDown, SmackDown on Raw. You'll see a bunch of fucking things that don't make sense. You'll see some weekly fucking shit where, ah, uh, this show doesn't have enough star power. We got to get Roman on this show, and the Usos got to be over here, and we got to get this guy over here. Like, give me a fuck. The brand-to-brand invitational, whatever the fuck that came up with. Stupid. They always go back on their ideas, which then, in turn, ruins the brand split. And then everything is basically a free-for-all. They're not going to keep to this. So I don't know why they end up doing it. Now, yes, it's in discussion. It's not really confirmed yet. They are considering it. But if they are considering it, at least consider sticking with the fucking plan. If you are considering it, then you go all the way with it. If you are going to fucking bail in two years or less than that, then maybe we shouldn't really explore doing brand-exclusive premium live events. Now, there are a bunch of positives to come out of this. Obviously, it saves WWE on budget, less of a staff, less production. That's all good and dandy. I don't really give a fuck about that. I'm not going to really complain about WWE making or losing money. I mean, they're making more money now hand over fist than any other point in their fucking history. I don't give a fuck how much money they make. It's not my forte. I'm not somebody that holds stock in the company. I don't give a shit. All I care about is what happens on TV, what happens creatively. The one thing that I wish that they would do is if they want to do this, if you want brand exclusive, exclusive pay-per-views, we need, you know, one world championship would be best. But if you want the brand split to be the way it needs to be and you want to do brand exclusive pay-per-views, the one thing I'm looking at is Normally, if you have these joint shows, if you have all these shows 12 months out of the year be joint shows and you got stories from Raw and stories from SmackDown on the same show, it doesn't really lend itself to feeling like a brand split. Now, if we got SmackDown exclusive pay-per-views and Raw exclusive pay-per-views, this is going to give more opportunity to those people that are sitting around in the back doing nothing. They'll be on TV more. They'll be involved in storylines more. They'll be on pay-per-view more. I mean, look how many talents are not involved in anything. It's going to open up the writing team to include more talent that isn't being given any opportunity to make it to TV. Well, at the same time, it's going to shrink the writing team because right now they're operating as one. There's like 50 or 60 writers, from what I understand, writing these shows. Everything. You want a brand split, it should be split in every department. You got writers for Raw and you got writers from SmackDown not knowing what they're doing. You got separate teams writing for Raw that would differentiate the shows. You would give the shows a different feel because if you got these shows being written by the same fucking team on Monday and Friday, 
they largely start to feel the same. And that's what I enjoyed about Ryan Ward and Road Dog. SmackDown felt different than Raw. It did. Immensely. Monday Night Raw was a Vince McMahon show. You got what you got. You knew what you were going to get. But SmackDown, under Ryan Ward and Road Dog in 2016, that show felt like it was an NXT show every week. And I'm like, this is fucking great television. It was almost can't-miss television. So if you're going to go and do this, it needs to be split right down the middle. Talent getting more opportunities. Talent getting on pay-per-views more. The focus on championships would be greater. The SmackDown championship would be highlighted in its own lights, away from the Monday Night Raw World Championship, the IC title away from the United States title. They'd absolutely have to split the tag team titles, which I'm not really a fan of. I'm not a fan of that whatsoever. But if WWE is going to do brand-exclusive pay-per-views, they're going to have to eventually split the tag team titles because you can't have one tag team holding two sets of titles. They're going to have to split the tag team titles. Or if they want to merge the divisions, I would take that because the women's tag team titles... You know, they don't have two sets of women's tag team titles. They float between Raw and SmackDown, so why not the same thing for the men? I mean, it's such an easy change, and it would give more volume, more talent to both shows and make it make sense. I don't really understand why they wouldn't do it, to be quite honest with you. Another big reason, on top of the talent getting more opportunity that really isn't getting much right now, some of these shows, they tend to go four hours I can't really see a brand-exclusive pay-per-view go past the three-hour threshold. Six matches, seven matches, maybe. And pay-per-views would be kept at a shorter time constraint. Three hours, tops. That's it. Maximum three hours. You know, normally when WWE has these joint shows with, with, with Raw and SmackDown, they tend to go four hours, sometimes four and a half hours. You don't, you don't need that. You don't need that. So shorter pay-per-views are always a plus to me. Having brand-exclusive pay-per-views in between all the major shows, it's actually going to enhance the importance of the Royal Rumble, the WrestleMania shows, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Money in the Bank. It's going to keep those shows separate. You want to include King of the Ring, you could do that too. You know, there will be, and this is where WWE always fails, they, 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 they tend to want to do a, a hard brand split, but they never really want to build around what makes the brand split special. Royal Rumble would be one of the few times in the year where Raw and SmackDown stars are in the same ring together. The Elimination Chamber, obviously, you know, that would play out the way that we see it now. If, if someone from SmackDown wins the Royal Rumble, then Monday Night Raw gets the Elimination Chamber. That's fine. They could still keep that. WrestleMania, obviously, biggest a big event, biggest show of the year. You're gonna be have you're gonna have both brands represented. Money in the bank. You have three on Raw and three on SmackDown competing for the Money in the Bank briefcase. You got the Survivor Series. Do they go back to the Raw versus SmackDown dynamic? I hope not. I hope not. King of the Ring tournament. You want to include a King of the Ring tournament? That would be great. Four guys from Raw, four guys from SmackDown. Have those special events mean more if you keep the brand split separate. Those brand-exclusive pay-per-views are also going to enhance the importance of the other big five shows around it as well because it's going to be, you know, uh, one of those nights, five times out of the year, where WWE has both brands come together to be represented on the same show. There are pros and cons to this. There are. But I don't see WWE sticking with this. If you guys remember, Nick Khan said something about, well, yeah, when our contract is up with Peacock, 
You know, we're going to explore other options, strategic, you know, options to bring uh, maximum revenue to the company. What what that means, and, and and Endeavor's already said, and management from Endeavor's already said that when the sale finally goes through and WWE is free from all of their contracts with Peacock and NBCU, they're going to probably go and do the same model that they have for the UFC with the WWE, meaning that if WWE is under the same umbrella as UFC and they're on an ESPN+, Plus, you're probably going to end up paying for all of these major shows. I mean, I, I hope to God that's not the case for, the, for these brand-exclusive pay-per-views, which is why I'm even questioning this happening. I mean, are you going to pay $60 for a brand-exclusive SmackDown show? I know. I, I don't want to. I'm going to have to. It's my fucking livelihood. It's my job. But are, are, are the normal paying casual customers going to pay $60 for a fucking Monday Night Raw brand-exclusive pay-per-view? I hope, I hope that's not the case. For the bigger shows, I can see them doing that. But for these brand-exclusive pay-per-views, if they want to keep that same model, I don't see WWE really being you know, uh, beneficial in that way. These, these brand-exclusive pay-per-views would make the television shows worth it more as well because when SmackDown has a pay-per-view, then Monday Night Raw is going to need something to offset that and kind of keep up with SmackDown. So where you get a SmackDown pay-per-view, Monday Night Raw may have bigger shows because of it because in that month, there won't be a Raw pay-per-view. They could get those pay-per-view matches that you would normally do on pay-per-view on Monday Night Raw and make Monday Night Raw a bigger show because of it and make it a must-see show because of it. There are a lot of pros to this. I, I just don't know if WWE is going to be honest and true to keeping up with the brand split because in years prior, they have tried it and then kind of backed away from it and then things just fall apart. So I don't really have any faith in WWE keeping to their brand exclusivity for major shows for premium live events. Vince McMahon. He made major changes to Monday Night Raw on Monday. Uh, it wasn't as egregious and offensive as it normally is. Uh, he did make some changes, and some of the things that you see on Monday Night Raw were definitely a Vince McMahon uh, made change, like Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin against the Street Profits. That was definitely a Vince McMahon change. I, I, I don't know why they're on television. I mean, they, they were on television, and then they're off. They're on television, and then they're off. The Hurt Business is getting back together, and Vince McMahon cancels the Hurt Business again. So Street Profits versus Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin was definitely a Vince McMahon change. Uh, there was reportedly another segment with Piper Niven and Candice LeRae that was axed. This is the second week in a row that those ladies got axed from the show. Monday Night Raw had some major changes, but nothing overly egregious. PW Insider reported this on Monday, that as of the last 30 minutes, there have been several major changes to, tonight, uh, to Monday Night Raw this past Monday, made remotely by Vince McMahon. So we were going into the 7, 7.30 uh, time, and Vince McMahon was making changes. You, you look on WWE.com, and you see nothing but Bad Bunny uh, making his return to WWE is the only thing up there. You know Vince McMahon is fucking doing something crazy. It was also stated that while things were not quite at the level of Raw after Mania, uh, things seem to be uh, heading in that direction where Vince McMahon is getting a little heavy-handed with making changes in WWE. As you guys know, he's not in the weeds anymore, but uh, he's running the show remotely from his home or running the show remotely from Titan Tower. So 
Changes were made and nothing really overly offensive happened on Monday Night Raw. It was more of a run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-road episode of Monday Night Raw, a, a, a holding pattern of sorts right before the WWE draft. WWE, the big thing that happened on Monday night is that they introduced a new World Heavyweight Championship that will be crowned at Night of Champions. A new champion will be crowned in Saudi Arabia. This divided the entire community, and I did a huge open on Monday Night Raw in regards to why I thought this was not really a good look for the company. It definitely is needed, but WWE basically is giving away a championship because Roman Reigns can't be beaten. They're giving away a consolation prize, a second place prize, because somebody is not good enough to beat Roman Reigns. Now, Monday Night Raw saw this World Heavyweight Championship unveiled. I thought this was a new WWE title. To be quite honest with you, I thought they were taking the WWE title away from Roman, keeping him with the Universal Championship because that's the one that he's got the record with. They were going to give the WWE title back to Monday Night Raw via the draft. Boy, was I wrong. Roman Reigns has the WWE title, the Universal title. They're still calling it the undisputed WWE Heavyweight Championship. And this is the new big gold for 2023. This is WWE's version of big gold in 2023. The world... Heavyweight Championship. Triple H unveiled WWE's newest title for Monday Night Raw, the World Heavyweight title, during Monday Night Raw. A new champion will be crowned at Night of Champions in May, which is no accident. They changed the name of King of the Ring to Night of Champions to appease Roman Reigns and his 1,000-day reign as champion. And they also did it because they want to add intrigue and make these shows in Saudi Arabia bigger than they really should be. Originally, the card was intended to be the King of the Ring and Queen of the Ring, but was changed to Night of Champions for specific reasons, like making the show bigger for Saudi Arabia and making it revolve around Roman Reigns' 1,000 days. The decision to add a new world championship has its pros and cons, but it's undoubtedly, you know, something that needed to be done, and it adds a convoluted element to the entire main event scene. Because right now, there is zero question that Roman Reigns is the top dog, the top champion in WWE. He is the guy. He's holding the Universal title and the WWE title. He's the biggest star in the company. He's got the longest reign for anybody of the modern era, nearing a 1,000 days. He's got Paul Heyman. He's got the Usos. He's got Solo Sokoa uh, next to him. And his presence is even more magnified by everything that's going on around him on top of the World Championship. So, we got the World Championship unveiled on Monday night. I said this on Monday, and I feel that with the unveiling of this championship, Roman Reigns is the top guy in the company. You can't create a new championship because you don't want to beat Roman Reigns and... You know, you don't want anybody to take that away from him. They may want it to continue... There is something within WWE right now where they feel like Roman Reigns is untouchable. They decided to create this world championship 
And all it does is give off the perception of, all right, we're not going to beat Roman, but here's a second place prize for everyone in the company to fight over because Roman is our guy and we don't want to beat him. WWE went about this the wrong way. They did. What they should have did is what I mentioned earlier. They should have taken the WWE title away from Roman Reigns. They all, Triple H came out on Monday night and said that Roman Reigns had negotiated a contract where it gives him lesser dates. It gives him less time to be there and defend the titles. That's all the explanation I needed. You could have taken the title away from Roman Reigns, put the WWE title on Monday Night Raw. If you wanted to create a new title for the WWE Championship, you could have did that on Monday night. But they didn't do that. They kept Reigns as the world champion with two titles. Now they introduced a third title, second place. Everybody else is fighting over second place next to Roman Reigns. What they should have did is take the title from Roman if you wanted to do that, or wait, wait until Cody beats Roman, then split the titles. If you wanted the outcome that you got at WrestleMania, which I even question now after what we got on Monday, if you wanted that outcome at WrestleMania and you wanted Cody to have some adversity going into the next match with Roman Reigns, He was going to beat Roman Reigns. You could have waited to do that and then split the titles. Have the universal title retired. Cody holds the WWE title. You create a new title for him. Then the World Heavyweight Championship could be a title that is spotlighted on the other show. I don't know why they didn't wait to do this. Because now, with an introduction of a third title, to me... You may think differently. I don't know why you would you would be okay with this, but to me, it means that whoever beats Roman now is going to have less of an impact. It's going to be less impactful with whoever beats Roman. It's not going to be as big as it should have been because Roman was the only champion in the company. He was holding the titles for as long as he was. Now you have another championship, and you're going to give this other person this other championship, and whoever beats Roman is going to be a champion. It should have been whoever beats Roman is the champion. And then you make the decision to split the titles and give the other brand back its world championship. Roman is that dark cloud over WWE that needs to go away. There needs to be a hero in this story to dissipate those dark clouds over the WWE and bring a sense of normalcy back to the company. Now they didn't do that. So whoever beats Roman Reigns now is not going to be as important as he should be because you've introduced this third world championship. So what happens when Roman loses his championships? Because you know what's going to happen. When? I don't know. SummerSlam? Do they take it to WrestleMania 40 next year? I don't know. If it's Cody, I said this on Monday, Cody's going to beat Roman Because Cody's not winning this world championship. I still see a lot of people talking about, oh, Cody's going to be the world champion. No. Cody is not winning the world heavyweight championship. That would be them abandoning, finish the story. That would be them abandoning everything that you saw at WrestleMania. Cody is basically at a point where he has to chase Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is his only destiny. That's it. Cody's not winning the championship. So end that narrative right now, right here. 
Is Cody going to get drafted to the same brand as Roman Reigns? I mean, he could. We could see that for the sake of dramatic effect. There may be another way for him to do that. We don't know what WWE's got planned. But on top of whoever beats Roman having it be less impactful, WWE at this point is looking at a third world championship, second place consolation prize. He's just going to be a champion while Roman is the guy. Everybody should want to still beat Roman Reigns. Everybody should want to beat Roman, who's been the guy. I don't think anybody should want this championship right now. If you want this championship based off what we've seen, you're, you're, you're admitting defeat. You're a loser. You're basically telling everybody, well, I had my shot at Roman. I couldn't do it. So let me get this second place prize. Then I also question what happened at WrestleMania. Then I also question the main event of WrestleMania. If you knew you wanted to create this world championship, and this is not something that happened on Monday. I mean, they didn't create this thing uh, on fucking Sunday to introduce on Monday. This thing's been in the works. It's been in the bag. It's been reported that Triple H wants to get rid of the universal title and create a world heavyweight championship or bring back big gold. This is his idea. This is his idea. And keep that in mind. This is not something that was born yesterday. They had this idea. This belt was made well before WrestleMania. Now I question the end of WrestleMania. If you wanted a world championship on Monday Night Raw, why didn't you have Cody beat Roman in the main event of WrestleMania? All of your problems would have been solved then. Universal title could have been retired or the universal title could have went back to SmackDown. WWE could have split the titles via the draft. I mean, everything was happening anyway. Cody could have beat Roman. You wanted a new championship created. There you go. The draft was happening. You're going to split the championships and get Monday Night Raw back its world title. I mean, everything was basically lined up. Why didn't you just have Cody beat Roman at WrestleMania if you knew fucking this was in place and that was in place and the draft was in place? Like, now it doesn't make sense. Now people are looking back at it and questioning now even more, why didn't he beat Roman if this was the plan all along? Hopefully, WWE's got a better story for Cody Rhodes to eventually get to that second match with Roman Reigns. So what do we do? What do we do with Cody? What do we do with the world championships? How do we get Cody to Roman? Who wins the world heavyweight championship? If WWE does not... Now, I don't see this happening. I mean, I think that would be ridiculous. I can't see Fox letting go of Roman... I can't see USA Network letting Cody and Roman go to the same brand. I can't see it. I can't see it. At least not right now. Maybe. Do they trust anybody else to lead Monday Night Raw on Monday? Cody's a big number. He's a big ratings draw. He's a big uh, attendance guy. People are coming out everywhere he goes to see Cody. I can't see them being on the same show immediately. But it, 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 may, it may come to a point where there's no choice for WWE to keep them separate. that They may have to be on the same show. If WWE drafts Roman and Cody to the same brand, then clearly they're going to be linked together at SummerSlam or somewhere down the line. If WWE keeps Roman on one brand and Cody on the other for dramatic effect, there is still a way for Cody to get to Roman Reigns without being on the same brand. He could win Money in the Bank. He could win the King of the Ring tournament if they want to do that. 
have him win Money in the Bank and then have him cash in on Roman at SummerSlam the heroic way and get his title match there. They could go and do that. I mean, that would create the dramatic effect and adversity needed for Cody to go chase Roman. I mean, it doesn't sound like a bad idea, but we'll see what WWE plans to do. Now, if Cody does beat Roman, which I do suspect he will, I don't think there'll be another universal champion. I think the Universal Championship is going to be retired. I don't think anybody in WWE is going to want anybody else to hold that championship after what Roman Reigns has done. We're going to get a World Heavyweight Championship on Raw and a WWE Championship on SmackDown. That's the way it's going to be. Who wins the World Heavyweight Championship? I don't really give a shit who wins it because anybody that wins is going to be looked at as second best. Seth Rollins is right now the leading candidate. They're calling him the ace up their sleeve to win the World Heavyweight Championship. Does it happen? Does it happen with Seth and Cody at Night of Champions? Because Cody is not going to be drafted to SmackDown uh, with the same uh, for uh, Roman. They're not going to put them on the same brand. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of questions coming out of all this. But right now, Seth Rollins is the leading candidate to win the World Heavyweight Championship. But... I'm thinking about this and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking about the World Heavyweight Championship situation and the fact that Roman is still holding two belts and Triple H unveiled this new World Heavyweight Championship on on Monday night. There's a reason why. There's a reason why. And you guys can sit there and think I'm some conspiracy theorist or you could sit there and, you know, feel like uh, I got nothing but uh, Vince, 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 Vince is uh, to blame for everything. Hear me out. The way I see this, for WWE is Vince never wanted Roman to lose the championships. I mean, Vince basically laid it out for you that he was in creative at a higher level. Triple H is the spokesman for everything creative. He is chief content officer in title only. He had to go out there on the night of WrestleMania during the post-show media scrum and Tell everybody that the story is always going to have layers and Romans in the third inning of this story. And, you know, the story is always going to be evolving. He gave the absolutely nonsensical political answer that he had to show to the reporters and the journalists. There's no doubt in my mind that the ending of WrestleMania was a Vince McMahon call. If Vince is booking this shit. He wants to see it through as long as he can. I have a feeling that Vince booked Roman Reigns to beat Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania. And there are multiple reasons why I feel that way. But if you look at the Bloodline story, you look at Roman Reigns just by himself specifically. That is a Vince McMahon pet project. That's not a Triple H project. That's a Vince McMahon project. The Bloodline is a Triple H. Uh, is somewhat a Triple H project with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens involved, but it is mostly a Vince McMahon project. Like the bloodline is Vince McMahon's. It all started with Vince McMahon. It's going to end with Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon booked the ending of WrestleMania. There's no doubt in my mind. If Triple H was completely in charge, and we know he was not the night of WrestleMania night one and night two, because Vince McMahon was there with the headset directing the show. You knew he was a part of creative. He said so at a higher level. If Triple H was completely in charge and Vince McMahon was fucking dead and gone, I do firmly believe that Triple H would have ended the story with Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania because that's what he would have done.
that's what I believe he would have done. The reason why the World's Heavyweight Championship was created is because of what happened at the end of WrestleMania. Triple H wanted Cody. Vince McMahon wanted Roman. The World's Heavyweight Championship represents the creative aspect of the company. Triple H wants to get rid of the universal title. Triple H wants to, and it's been reported everywhere, Triple H wants to fix the mess of Vince McMahon giving both world titles to one man for three years. This is the one remaining mess that Triple H needs to fix from the prior administration. You mean to tell me that Triple H didn't want Cody to win the fucking title at WrestleMania when that was his priority all along? That was the perfect place to do it. I know it. I know it. If he wanted it to happen, he would have made it happen. But Vince McMahon said no. So now we got a new World Heavyweight Championship, and the World Heavyweight Championship represents what's happening in the company creatively. Vince McMahon is booking 50% of the company, and Triple H is booking 50% of the company. Vince McMahon wanted Roman to remain the champion as the undisputed WWE champion, and Triple H wanted a new world championship on Monday night because he can't stand the universal title, and he wanted to take both world titles off of Roman Reigns. Thus, we got the World Heavyweight Championship. What you're looking at, the World Heavyweight Championship is a representation of the internal conflict in the company, 50-50 booking, legitimately. That's what it is. 50% of the company is being booked by Triple H, and 50% of the company is being booked by Vince McMahon. And that's not a good recipe. That is not a recipe for success. Because you know when a Vince McMahon show happens, when a Vince McMahon creative decision happens, you know when a Triple H creative decision happens. You see it. And you put them together and you mash them up together, it's not a good look. It creates tiredness. It creates frustration. It creates sadness. It creates fans not knowing what they're watching. Because we're told one thing that he's not there, but we know he's still there. We see and hear his influence in the show. Meanwhile, Triple H wants to fix all these problems, but he can't really fix it because Vince McMahon is getting heavy-handed again and creative. So what you're watching with the World Heavyweight title is 50-50 booking. Half of the show is being booked by Triple H and half of it is being booked by Vince McMahon. This is a Triple H idea. This was, this was Vince McMahon's way of saying, all right, son-in-law, I'll give you a bone. This is my company, but I'll give you what you want. I'm not going to beat my guy, but I'll give you a world championship, so go out and get your new world championship made. But Vince McMahon doesn't realize the damage that this one championship is going to cause because everybody that wins this title, anybody that wins this title is going to be a second-rate champion. Until Roman is conquered, everybody else in the company is going to look like a second-place prize. It's going to be Roman and then whoever is standing on the podium next to him, second and third place. It's going to be the world heavyweight champion and then Gunther. That's the way it's going to be. Meanwhile, both world champions should be equally prestigious, equally represented, and they're not going to be presented that way until Roman Reigns is defeated. Simple. CM Punk. He was backstage during Monday Night Raw. This was another big thing that happened on Monday night. There was more happening around Monday Night Raw than was on Monday Night Raw. PW Insider had detailed a report about CM Punk being at the show. Punk spoke with several wrestlers. 
He cleared the air with The Miz and briefly spoke to Triple H. A lot of people were surprised in both AEW and WWE that he was there. Some people in WWE believed he was testing the waters for a return. That was not the case at all. So PW Insider tells you what's going on here. Punk flew with WWE talent from Florida as he was doing commentary for Cage Fury Fighting Championships over the weekend and just so happened to be on the same flight with WWE crew. On the flight, he found out that WWE was in Chicago, very close to his home, the Allstate Arena. He arrived at the venue with other WWE stars, so that's how he got into the building and remained in the common area in full view of anyone who walked by. He was never in a private room. He was never really backstage. They shook hands. Regarding his chat with Triple H, Punk asked if it was all right if he was there and if Triple H had time so they could talk for two minutes. Triple H allegedly said that he had to make sure the big guy was okay with it, that he was there. Obviously a reference to Vince McMahon. Punk stayed in the area the entire time and talked with several wrestlers who walked in. Within 20 minutes, security told Punk to leave, and Punk did so respectfully, reportedly a decision by Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon called up security, head of security for WWE, Jim Kelly, and told Punk to leave. Although there was a belief that Punk was asked to leave because he was under AEW contract, that is not the case, as one WWE source pointed out. That the other AEW stars, such as Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo, they were backstage and allowed backstage at the WWE Hall of Fame to sit with their wives during the ceremony. Another source stated that Punk is in a different situation due to his legal history with the company. The report noted that for those who have asked if this was Punk trying to gauge WWE interest, the answer is no. Punk, who is still under contract with All Elite Wrestling for a lengthy amount of time, can't negotiate with WWE at this point and is reportedly slated to return for the June 17th show, which will be for AEW's debut of Collision. The internal reaction within WWE was disbelief that he was there except for those who saw him. The report noted that one person under contract to WWE who saw Punk there said it came off as if Punk was trying to kill whatever past heat there was between himself and Miz and theorized that may have been why he wanted to speak to Paul Levesque as well. People were under belief that Punk wanted to return to WWE. Meltzer said that people were surprised, very surprised, and Meltzer said the feeling in WWE was that he was there because he wanted back Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. There were talks of him going back shortly, late last year, but he couldn't go because he was still under the contract to AEW. My impression is that with Paul Levesque in charge and not Vince, he wanted to go back. My impression was that they didn't have any interest in him at that time, Melter stated. You know, that's bullshit for Melter to even put out there. Like, you can't really tell people who are listening to you that he is interested in going back or he wants to go back. It's not the case. Uh, Unless Punk said he's interested in going back, I don't know why you're out there speaking for CM Punk and putting words in CM Punk's mouth. Clearly, that was not the case, but Meltzer said it anyway. You know, a lot of people made a big deal about this. Um, You know, I joked that he probably had dinner reservations with his wife and he had some time to kill and he said, you know what, let me go fucking rile up the internet for 20 minutes and uh, get everybody talking. CM Punk is a businessman. You know, WWE, how many times have they been in Chicago 
Seriously, how many times have they been in Chicago the last seven years this man has been retired? And he didn't show face once. Now, on the eve of him coming back to pro wrestling again for the second time after the all-out incident, now he wants to show up at a WWE show because they're in Chicago at the Allstate Arena? Give me a break. This was manipulated, and this was constructed to be done on purpose. No doubt about it. CM Punk is somebody that is smart. He knows what he's doing. He knows that he's going to get people talking, and it's going to generate a lot more buzz for him and his eventual return. It also presents CM Punk in a light that he wants to definitely try and, and dumb down. A lot of people think he's greedy. A lot of people think he's to blame for all this and that he's heartless and blah, blah, blah. You know, you could take your side, whether you like the elite or whether you like the Young Bucks and Omega or CM Punk. It doesn't matter. CM Punk, I feel like, and I know I would do this, and I'm saying this because I know I'd do this. Maybe CM Punk wanted to go out there and make this known to everybody that, hey, even the people that I fucking vilified the most in my career, I'm going to go out there and, and apologize to them. Was it a part of CM Punk's campaign to make CM Punk out to be a, a, a good guy? Was this Phil Brooks taking it upon himself to say, you know what, listen, I want to apologize. I want to sit down and talk. I'm told I can't. I'm told by lawyers I can't talk to you. So, all right, I'm going to go talk to the people that I fucking hated for the last eight years or so, and I'm going to apologize to them. Maybe that would get to you and kind of open your eyes a little bit. Is that the reason why CM Punk did it? I know I would have taken that upon myself to go and do that. If that's the case, that's a smart move. That's a smart, manipulative move by Triple H, uh, by uh, CM Punk. To go talk to Triple H and The Miz? Come on, man. You guys know what he said about The Miz. You guys know what he said about Triple H. So it's really admirable for CM Punk to go out there and want to apologize, man. He wants to, be, he wants to do good. He wants to do good. Whether he wants to be back in WWE or not, I don't know. Maybe he does. But that's only that's that's something only CM Punk can really divulge and talk about. We're not going to put words in his mouth. We're not going to say, oh, he's definitely there because he wants back in WWE. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He did it to ruffle some feathers. He did it to kind of make it an eye-opening situation for the elite. Hey, I want to talk, so I'm going to go talk to these guys and apologize. Maybe you'll you'll get where I'm trying to come from. You know, why would he do that to Tony Khan? He's already did enough to Tony Khan. He doesn't need to give Tony Khan another headache. Why would he go out there and purposely do that? He's set to have his own show. They're building collision around him. Uh, I mean, he's contracted to AEW. Why wasn't he allowed backstage? Why wasn't he allowed to talk to Triple H? Why did Vince McMahon kick him out? Because it's a bad look for WWE. It's a bad look for WWE. You don't think Tony Khan was fucking sweating with his phone in his hand already thinking WWE was tampering with CM Punk's contract? Holy shit. That would be a terrible look for WWE. They don't need any more fucking problems because of CM Punk wanting to talk to the uh, one of the head guys there in Triple H. Give me a break. So they did right by kicking him out, and Punk, he obliged. He walked away, respectfully. Everybody blew it out of proportion, man. Oh, Punk is back in WWE. He wants to be back. No, he doesn't. He did it because of what's happening with him in the months to come. He's getting people ready for his inevitable return. The meeting with Chris Jericho that was supposed to happen. It happened. And it went well, according to Wade Keller of Pro Wrestling Torch. 
During a recent Pro Wrestling Torch audio show, Wade Keller talked about the CM Punk plane ride from Tampa and indicated that the idea to go to Raw seemed to happen as he was on the plane and he saw that he had some WWE talent on the same flight. Sounds like Punk, says Wade Keller. Didn't just show up cold. He was on a flight with some people. And connecting the dots only here, some people made it seem the idea entered Punk's head based on his interactions with WWE people that on that flight, maybe he'd be welcome or it'd be a good idea to visit Raw. Sounds like Tony Khan was not given a heads up on this. The indications point towards Punk just kind of did this with the idea of being, you know, it not being a big deal. It's just that he wanted to say hi to some friends when they were in Chicago. But like I said, WWE was in Chicago for the past seven years, every single year, and Punk never showed face. But this year, he showed face. Sure, he wanted to visit some friends. Sure. Part of me thinks that this is going to kind of blow over as a non-factor in the big picture trajectory of Punk and AEW. It's already blown over. It's a non-issue now. Keller added that Punk visiting Raw will be seen by his critics as another bit of a warning sign of just Punk's judgments in terms of reading the room of how to lay low and help Tony Khan create a successful plan to reintegrate Punk into a volatile situation so they can get something for the money he paid him uh, to come in. Keller also confirmed that the meeting with Jericho, uh, CM Punk, and FTR as the neutral party went very well. Keller said, I heard the meeting took place with Jericho and FTR. I think it was supposed to be on Friday, That might uh, have been why he was in Tampa, and I just heard from one source that it went well. Fightful reported that Jericho and Punk were set to meet with one another, and they've learned that it did happen over the last week. Those familiar with the situation said that the meeting was relatively uneventful, all things considered, and especially when taken into consideration the issues that both Punk and Jericho had with each other. When Punk first joined AEW, we're told that Jericho approached Punk to establish that bygones were bygones, and Punk had replied in kind as long as there were no reasons to have any issues going forward. Jericho was have said was to have said that uh, they that he shouted at Punk after brawl out, and Punk called Jericho a stooge during a recent Instagram stories post. Sources familiar with the situation also claim that it seemed as if the two could end up working together without issue but also pointed towards Punk's recent history as well as Jericho's long-term history of welcoming confrontation. One source said, well, it's a positive that Jericho and Punk didn't fight. They then followed up jokingly and said, well, not yet. It sounds like the meeting was simply to talk over how to introduce Jericho back creatively to AEW and his first opponent or opponents will be Jericho and the Jericho Appreciation Society. Doesn't sound like they sat down to squash whatever problems they had. Sounds like whatever problems that they had were squashed before that meeting. I don't think Jericho had any lawsuits or lawyers against him to talk to CM Punk and vice versa. Jericho wasn't a part of the brawl out situation. He wasn't suspended. He was there. He knows what happens. But Jericho and Punk probably talked this out well before this meeting even took place. And this meeting was simply made to conduct creative on how to bring Punk back and introduce him to the AEW audience, who his first opponent's going to be, who his first feud's going to be, and how it's going to be fleshed out. That's what it sounds like this meeting was about. Not to apologize and squash beef, 
I think that was done well before this. FTR was there as a neutral party. For what reason? They're going to be a part of the feud. I'm glad everything went well. But you got to give it to Jericho, man. Jericho had nothing to do with the brawl out situation. And he's now thrown himself into the punk situation to be the first feud for CM Punk on his way back. And be in the spotlight even bigger than he has been in all of AEW so far. Got to give him credit. When Jericho sees money, he goes after it. When Jericho sees an opportunity to get himself over, man, he goes after it. A lot of these younger guys could probably take some initiative like Jericho and be better off. The Saturday night show that CM Punk will debut on June 17th will include a CM Punk tagline. Brian Alvarez talked about Collision on June 17th. He also stated that he was told that the debut of Collision will have a special CM Punk tagline like we got for the first dance on AEW Rampage. Ahead of Punk's debut in AEW, 2021's Rampage saw the uh, the first dance, not the last dance, the first dance for that episode of Rampage. Now, what I know, says Alvarez, is that they have a tagline for this show. I'm not talking about a tagline for Collision. I'm talking about a tagline for that specific show at the United Center. Whatever it is, I believe it's CM Punk related. I think this time they're going to announce that. That is going to be where he is going to be returning. And it's not going to be like the first time where we, you know, were teased along the way and it was some big surprise. I don't know that for sure. But the fact that they have a punk related tagline tells me, I think at some point we are going to be told in advance for the debut of this big show. Now, this goes along with the reports of a brand split. Some say it's going to be a soft brand split. Some people are saying it's going to be a hard brand split. AEW's canceling their dark shows. Elevation was canceled, and they may cancel Dark for all I know. I don't know. But Tony Khan is going to have Dynamite and Collision be the top two shows as his priority for AEW television. With Rampage sitting where? I don't know. Where it falls in line of importance? I don't know. And then you got Ring of Honor basically operating as Dark because nothing happens over there worth anything. And they're more Dark than uh, Darkest. So... I don't know why you need Dark Elevation and Dark and then Ring of Honor when all three shows are exactly the same thing. So Ring of Honor now has become the new Dark. And Tony Khan is going to focus mainly on Collision and Dynamite. Good. Whatever it is, CM Punk tagline, I'm excited about it. Can't wait for him to come back. And that's going to be a big show. And finally, guys. Kind of a sad tweet for the week here. I don't, I don't usually do sad tweet, but we got Chavo Guerrero kind of embarrassing himself on social media this week. He says in regards to Rey Mysterio, thank you for keeping Eddie's name alive, but we don't need you. We're good. You know what I'm saying? So Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio had a very good match at WrestleMania. And Ray was inducted into the Hall of Fame at WrestleMania 39 the night before. He made his entrance in a low rider that was driven by Snoop Dogg using the Los Guerreros Light Sheet and Steel theme. Tribute to Eddie Guerrero. Fantastic. While doing a virtual signing with Captain's Corner, Chavo Guerrero Jr. spoke about Mysterio throughout it, including joking about how Mysterio has been trying to be a part of the Guerrero family for a while. 
Guerrero talked about the feud he had with Ray in WWE and how he was, you know, how he and his family are tired of people prostituting off of the Guerrero name for storylines and angles because he and Eddie worked hard to build the Guerrero name. The idea of doing Chavo versus Ray at WrestleMania 40 was brought up. Good luck with that. He said that Ray couldn't hold a candle to him right now, seemingly speaking in character. I got to tell you this, he says. I just don't understand why Rey Mysterio still has to dot, dot, dot. Look, we all love Eddie Guerrero, but we're not going out with his gimmick and our gimmick. It was Los Guerreros gimmick and come out with the Los Guerreros. We lie, we cheat, we steal. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, keeping Eddie's memory alive. I say, no, dude, I'm tired of people. And this is not a bitter thing. This is the truth. We worked hard for that last name. The whole family worked really, really hard to get that name to where it was, and we're tired of people prostituting it in a sense and using it for their benefit. So Rey Mysterio, I'm sorry that no one knows who Rey Mysterio Sr. is. Rey Mysterio Jr., no one knows who he is, and I'm sorry that you have to latch onto the Guerrero family name, and we're just kind of tired of it. So thank you for keeping Eddie's name alive. Thank you for keeping the Guerrero name alive, but we don't need you. We're good. You know what I'm saying. End quote. Now, clearly, everybody burned Chavo Guerrero on social media. Following some tweets on Monday where Chavo accused Ray of prostituting Eddie's name for 16 years, Chavo then, of course, backed off and said that he was just playing a character and he was being a heel. Sure you were, bro. You didn't expect people to fuck. You put this on social media, by the way. This was on social media. And you don't expect to kick back from this on Twitter? Do you know where the fuck you are? Chavo tweeted, this is how a heel should tweet. Hook, line, and sinker. I still got it. Apparently, the comment he made about Ray donating to help Eddie's daughters were all a part of a heel shtick. Guerrero also talked about potentially returning to the WWE to feud with Ray. He thinks Dominic needs to get his heat back and someone like Bad Bunny shouldn't be getting the better of Dominic. He pushed him, he pushed for himself to be someone who could aid Dominic in the feud. Sounds like he wanted to be part of WWE. He, he knows that what they're doing is special. And what Chavo has got going on is nothing. And he feels like he needs to interject himself into the storyline because Chavo's desperate to get back on television in some meaningful way. What a joke. Some things are just left un better left unsaid, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I don't know how you didn't get emotional by watching Rey Mysterio go out there in a lowrider with Snoop Dogg with lie, cheat, and steal playing on the PA in front of 80,000 fucking people. That, that you want to complain about. Rey Mysterio, of all people, prostituting off of Eddie Guerrero's fucking name. Meanwhile, on Dynamite, in two separate matches, we got Sammy Guevara and we got Bandito doing the fucking frog splash off the top rope, doing the Eddie Shimmer off the top rope. Eddie is everywhere. Eddie is generational. Eddie is influential. Eddie's going to be, people are going to be doing this till the day we fucking die. Yet Rey Mysterio is the fucking problem. Oh, no, no, I was only playing a heel character. I, this is what heels do, lie cheat and steal, or hook, line, and sinker, whatever the fuck he said. Give me a break. Really? What an idiot. Of all the people, Rey Mysterio, you go listen to Rey Mysterio on Logan Paul's uh, Impulsive podcast, he's fucking gleaming about how important Eddie Guerrero was to him. 
My God, man. If you're thinking it, don't put it on Twitter. Anyway, guys, that's all I got for you. Hopefully you enjoyed the show tonight. We uh, had a lot to cover, man. A lot to get into tonight. And we got some super chats to go over, man. Please hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for notifications. Make sure you go check out all the other content on the channel, man. Plenty of it. You're going to have extras coming at you all weekend long. There's a couple of extras up there right now. We talked about MJF and what he said. Tweet and delete. Naomi, my thoughts on Naomi joining Impact Wrestling. Monday Night Raw Live. Wednesday's Dynamite will be live tomorrow for SmackDown Friday night. Tons of content, man. Go check that stuff out. Hit that thumbs up. Let's try for 1,000 likes minimum on today's episode 475. And make sure you guys continue to get those super chats in. And follow me on social media, at JD from NY206. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Cameo. Speaking of Cameo, I think I got one to fulfill, to be quite honest with you. I think I got one to uh, fulfill. 18 hours. Nice. Anyway, guys, let's get into the Super Chats. Soma BT with 13 months. Thank you, Soma. The writer is a Triple H guy who's trying to get him out. Uh, She might have been a Triple H guy. Who the fuck knows? Oh, she might have been a Triple H woman. Never mind. She might have been a Triple H uh, enthusiast. Yes. Sonny Singh with a 1999 Super Chat. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone, including the OTS family, for giving my girlfriend Wednesday Adams the support when she told everyone she's going to rehab for one year. I feel sad and empty. Well, I hope she's doing well, Sonny. Hopefully she comes back when she is uh, ready to. We'd love to uh, welcome her back in the OTS venue. And thank you for the 1999, brother. Max Emerson with a three months. Nearly a year since I became a fan, and now three months as a VIP. The show is the rare stability in my otherwise busy, hectic life. OTS for life. Max, thank you so much, man. That means a lot to me, bro. Frag Dude 44 with a nine months. Wow, nine months. Let's go. OTS, been waiting for this all day. Thank you, Frag Dude. Willem Hendrick Fullard with a 28, 28 months. Hi, JD. Love you, brother. You always make my life worth it. Brother, thank you so much, man. That means a lot to me. Appreciate you. Huda Ops with a nine months. Hey, JD, how much longer do you think Vince can go on like this with all the lawsuits? There has to be a line somewhere, right? It's ridiculous. Hashtag fire Vince. Bro, the only thing that will get Vince out is the Grim Reaper. Anything else is not going to work. Man is like fucking Teflon. He's got a, a lifetime bulletproof vest on him, man. Philip Newton with a 499. Get him out. Yeah. Andy Suppers with a five. Get rid of Vince. Yes. I agree with both of you, gentlemen. Sonny Singh with a 999. Also, Wednesday Adams been supporting me since 
I had a car crash last summer. If it wasn't for her, I won't be standing up with my two feet again. I miss her so much. I'm sorry to hear that, Sonny. Whatever you do, bro, make sure you are giving her your uh, 100% support, bro. Paul David with a 16 months. Will JD be live for the NFL draft tonight? No, I don't care. Tyler with a 199. Do you see Teddy Long as being a GM? Uh, I did read that. Uh, I did read that Teddy Long will be backstage on Friday and on Monday, man. I don't know what they got planned, but could be interesting. Could be interesting. Tyler also with the 199. How do you feel on uh, on Riddick Moss name change? Did they change it back to Riddick Moss? Did they finally get rid of Madcap? I didn't see this in the news yet. Oh, yeah, let's see. Yeah, Riddick Moss is back to Riddick Moss. Look at that. Nice. Finally. Looks like we got some news for uh, an extra tomorrow, too. Some uh, some news broke uh, in the time I was live on the podcast. Road Dog also says, Omos has more upside than Andre the Giant. Big show more than all these guys. I think Road Dog is... Uh, Drinking a little something, man. Whatever he's drinking, I'd love to have a fucking chug of it. You fucking kidding me? Emerald Lord with a 13 months reminder. Fuck Bill Goldberg. The amazing Dexter Slots with the new membership. Dexter, what the fuck are you drinking, brother? Thank you so much, man. Tay-Tay, the savior with the $2 super chat. Reggie and drag is Santina Morella all over again. Yes, and even that sucked. Aaron, for that two months. How is Vince allowed backstage with all these lawsuits and stuff? I know it's his company, but in my opinion, he has to be punished. I'm hoping to go to Wembley. How is he allowed backstage, Aaron? It's his show. He's going to do whatever the fuck he wants. JC720 with the nine months. This doesn't surprise me. Yeah, nothing about this at all is shocking. Ryan Callahan will still probably have his job. No faith. Ryan Callahan should be fucking fired, to be quite honest with you. A disgusting human being. James Gender with a 999. Do you think Sammy Zane and Kevin Owens will lose the tag team titles to the Usos tomorrow since Sammy... Has never been to Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is hosting Night of Champions. No. I do not think they lose the tag team titles. That would be fucking awful. That would be so awful. It would undo legitimately everything you did with the storyline. Juan Lopez with the $2 Super Jack. God, do I feel bad for Reggie. Yeah. Yeah, he was going to be hunted by Shane Thorne with a stereotypical Australian hunter gimmick, crocodile hunter gimmick. He was going to be put in cages... 
hunted by the white man, the black man was, and now he's Scripps on NXT. How he's still there is unbelievable to me. His gimmick now is awful. Do you see what they got him wearing on NXT? Holy shit. Scott Woodford with the two months. Evening, sir. Happy Friday evening. Thank you, Scott. The TMB Podcast. $2 Super Chat. What do you think of the name change? Reddick Moss. I like it. Finally. I, didn't, I never knew what a madcap was, so I'm glad that's gone. Now, now next week, we'll work on Pete Dunn. ER Sane with a $2 super shot. A 78-year-old running the WWE and an 80-year-old running America. Why? I don't know. It's a good question. Jason Barker with a $5 super chat. Do you think they should throw away the WWE Championship and keep the new design as the regular WWE Championship? No. When Roman loses, the Universal title will be retired and the WWE title will be the main championship. There's no reason why the WWE championship should go into retirement. None. It's the sole light beacon of the company. The WWE title, not the Universal title. The Universal title has seven years of lineage, most of which is Roman Reigns. That will be retired, and once that happens, the WWE title and the World Heavyweight title will be the only two world titles in the company. Captain Solo with a $10 super chat. Roman Reigns is boring and bland and without Paul Heyman and the Usos, and Solo, he's a garbage champion and a garbage character who's only on top because Vince fell in love with this bum from day one. Well, tell me how you really feel, Captain Solo. Holy shit. Hollywood guy, if you don't stop asking, I will ban you, bro. How are you banned if you're in the fucking chat? I mean, does anybody use their fucking brain around here? Holy shit. You're in the chat. I see your message. You're not banned from super chatting if you're in the chat. And why would I ban you specifically from super chatting? I would want you to super chat me more than actually leave me a message in the regular chat. Captain Solo, you can feel however you want, man. I uh, I disagree. Uh, Brian the Dean with a 12 months. JD, are you buying those MJF pickles? No. They are way too expensive. Stallion Productions with a 499. Who do you think will join Baker and Hater versus the Outcasts for blood and guts? Any rumors of anyone joining the Outcasts? Uh, well, the women are not getting blood and guts. Blood and Guts will be the Blackpool Combat Club versus the Elites. I don't know where you've been, Stallions. Ali with a 499. Hey, JD, would you ever see Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, Kyle O'Reilly against the House of Black for the Trios Championships? Of course. I say for the hell of it, just bring back Bobby Fish for the sake of continuity. It's almost as if you're building a Lego and you're missing a few pieces, man. You can't build the Lego without Bobby Fish. You can't build the undisputed Lego without Bobby Fish. And Cody Snyder with a $5 super chat. Will there be a VIP stream Sunday? No. 
Unless something absolutely catastrophic happens, then we'll go live. Other than that, no. The reason why I do the Thursday streams is because um, Sunday night, I mean, you know, listen, what, what? I'm not competing with these sports games, bro. Uh, you know, 5 o'clock on a Thursday is much easier for me. I don't have to deal with fucking the NFL draft. I don't have to deal with the fucking NBA playoffs. I don't have to deal with football. The reason why I change is because there's more against me than there is for me. If you can't catch it live, it will be up on the channel. It's okay. Plus, I like to have my weekends to do what I want, man. Sometimes I'm very tired. Sometimes I'm exhausted from the gym and I just want to relax or just lay around the house and do nothing. Do you mind? There'll be content on the weekend. I'll be giving you guys videos regardless. And Nick Williams with a $2 super chat. What's your favorite sandwich, JD? It's my favorite sandwich. It's a good question, Nick. I love a nice egg salad sandwich. I love egg salad. And a nice egg salad sandwich on pumpernickel bread this afternoon. Love it. A little salt and pepper. Good to go. Anyway, guys, I appreciate you joining me for uh, this episode 475 today, man. Hopefully we uh, hopefully we entertained you tonight. Extras up. Go check out that one on Naomi. I may have something later tonight as well for tomorrow. So make sure you guys go and uh, check that out. We'll see what happens. I'll uh, scour the dirt sheets to see what's going on. There's always something. There's always something, man. Follow me on social media at JD from NY206. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Cameo. Make sure you guys hit that subscribe button down below and turn on the bell for notifications. And please continue to hit that thumbs up, man. Let's try for a thousand likes. You guys know the deal. Ty Sloan, late 199. Thoughts on Jerry Springer dying. Rest in peace, Jerry Springer. Always used to see him on when I was home from school, and my mom always used to run to change the channel because she didn't want us watching that filth on television. But God rest his soul, man. Jerry Springer, dead at the age of 76 tonight. Thank you guys so very much, man. I'll see you back tomorrow night, man. We'll be live on the podcast with the first night of the WWE Draft right here on Off the Script. I'll see you guys later.